Hey, what's going on? Good evening, good evening. This is Mariah Rose, and welcome to tonight's episode of Out Loud and Unfiltered. Tonight, we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, that's near and dear to the hearts of a lot of people. Um, I want to say I'm so godly grateful that I'm able to do this tonight. I am grateful that you are listening. Um, If this is your first time checking me out, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can be followed at Out Loud Movement on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can also follow me on Instagram and uh, Twitter at Mariah's Thoughts or just under Mariah Rose on Facebook. I always say, and I will probably say it again at the end of this podcast, that time is a commodity that we can't get back. And so if you chose tonight to spend an hour listening to me for the first time, thank you for spending your valuable, valuable time Uh, to hear what I have to say. I'm super excited. I'm super grateful for those of you all who are not new to Out Loud and Unfiltered. Welcome. The topic tonight is called the freedom to love. And so we're in the month of February and this is the month where everybody is running to and fro like we're one week away from Valentine's Day, right? And Folks want to know, you know, that they're loved. Everybody is buying stuff and, and they're trying to figure out the most, most, most effective way, the most, you know, creative way to demonstrate to the person that they love that they are loved. Right. And so as is my custom, I want to define the words that are crucial and poignant and help me make my point. Uh, we'll start with love. So the definition of love is an intense feeling of deep affection for someone, a great interest and pleasure in something. Freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. So we've entered the month of February and People the world over are planning activities, intimate dinners. They're shopping for gifts in an attempt to ensure that the person they love knows that they're loved. I mean, engagement rings are being purchased, copious amounts of chocolate and an innumerable number of stuffed animals are being purchased. Hundreds of thousands of dinner reservations or short weekend getaways are being made this time of year. This month, this holiday, if you will, Valentine's Day, it is one of the most profitable times of year, especially here in the U.S. Like, I don't know the dollar figure. I have no idea what that is. But we tend to spend goo gobs of money every year as a society in general on Valentine's Day. You know, I I mean, it starts before we we get away from Christmas good. I mean, before the 1st of January, you start seeing the white, pink, and red decorations that are associated with Valentine's Day. You start seeing the overstuffed teddy bears and the big, huge chocolate hearts or Hershey kisses, the over-the-top stuff, right, in the stores. Gift bags, cards, the kids, you got to go to to the store and and purchase the kids valentines because there's inevitably going to be a valentine's day party at school right so my whole thing is that with this being the most profitable one of the most profitable times in 
in in our tradition in this country anyway uh, of the year. My question is, if it's traditional and celebratory and it is representative of love, why is division at an all time high? Especially in this country, division is off the charts. It's ridiculous, right? Why is divorce at an all-time high? Like, think about the rate of divorce, especially in the church, when it comes to couples separating and feuding and fighting over community property and custody of the kids and whatnot. The rate of divorce is highest in the body of Christ, that baffles me. It's always baffled me, but it it and it it probably will continue to baffle me. Why is conflict and hatred allowed to be unabated? Why is it allowed to run so rampantly in our society? And I have to ask, could it be that we've forgotten what true love looks like? In my opinion, love should be demonstrated every day of the year, 24-7, 365, 366, if you're thinking about leap year, right? We as a society have become so bound up in pretensions and appearances that we've forgotten what it means to love ourselves and to love others. We have given love this nebulous sort of vague and distorted kind of definition and description. It, it doesn't look like what it should look like. We've allowed how society in general has defined love to dictate how we behave, how we treat others, and how we view ourselves. The word of God is no longer our mirror, right? Not like it should be. And, and, and world standards have become the the lens through which we view and define Love. It's crazy. I mean, I and I don't mean to, to, to be speechless, but even as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking that we have literally allowed the opinions of others, our failures and mistakes. We have allowed so heartbreaks. We've allowed so many different things to dictate how we love, to control how we love. That equates to bondage for so many people. Maybe not for everyone, but a a good number of folks are in bondage because their definition of love, the way that they love themselves, the way that they love others, it is defined by someone else. So what happened? How do we get here? Somewhere down the line, life and circumstances happened. I know I have my own personal experiences, you know, of what it's like not to know what love really is or how to love. I I, I know that I've operated in a place of what I thought love was supposed to look like, what love was supposed to feel like. I operated in um uh in love the way that I thought I was supposed to receive it. I operated in love the way that I felt like I was supposed to be treated. I accepted what I thought love was supposed to be. And the crazy part of it is I was off. I was wrong. And and we have to, as a people, be willing to take a look at that. 
Yes, it requires self-examination, but it also requires an examination of the word of God according to what love is defined to be. It is also indicative of the fact that we need to take a look at what we allow others to present to us as love. You know, and I would even say that we tend to love others the way we want to be loved. And that's not necessarily the right thing to do. Okay, so life and circumstances happened. We grow up loving based on what we're exposed to as children. We tend to use our upbringing as a point of reference. And unfortunately for some of us, our upbringing is a far cry from the true definition of love. It's a far cry from, you know, what freedom is supposed to look like. I mean, for some folks, lucky for you if this was you. For some people, you know, your time growing up as a child was full of love. You you know and you were able to come into the knowledge of what true love really, you know, looks like because your parents, whether you had both parents in the house or you only had one parent in the house, your parents took the time to sow the seed of true love into you and they cultivated it and it grew and you didn't know anything different, right? And that's wonderful. That's great because everybody didn't have that experience. Everybody didn't grow up, you know, understanding what true love, unconditional love was supposed to look like. But but check this out. Right. Some of us dealt with hurt. Maybe we're still dealing with hurt and pain. But some of us encountered that later in life. If you didn't encounter it in your childhood, you have encountered it. And and if you haven't encountered it yet, God bless you. But when you do encounter it, if you do encounter it, just understand that the hurt and the pain is not supposed to, we're not supposed to allow it to dictate how we in turn love ourselves and how we love others. But there was hurt and there was pain. And it it originated from loved ones, friends, partners. It was introduced in some form or fashion or it will be introduced. I mean, do you remember the first time your heart was broken? Do you remember the first time you felt betrayed or the first time your trust was broken? I would bet my bucket listed dream tickets to a Packers game that if you go back and you think really hard about your life, you'll be able to even pinpoint the exact moment you began to build walls. I'd even argue that you'd be able to recall the day right down to the moment, what argument, what hurtful thing was said or done, right? That you were a little more guarded that day than you were the day before, the moment that shaped how and when you would let someone get close to you, but not too close. It happens to the best of us. And many times it happens without truly realizing that it's happening. Like no one comes into the world unloving and filled with hatred. Nobody comes into this world, you know, full of disdain. Nobody comes into this world guarded. Nobody comes into this world anxiety ridden and on edge. Nobody comes into this world um, filled with distrust. Like nobody does that. Life comes. Circumstances come. People who have been hurt end up hurting someone else, someone that they love and care about because we all have blank slates when we come into this world. We come into this world blank canvases and someone before we are old enough to have any control or say 
Somebody is charged with painting that canvas. Someone is charged with giving us the the paints or the oils or the brushes or the 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 crayons or the sticks whatever the medium is someone is charged with giving that to us and if those people who are charged with teaching us what true love is aren't equipped themselves then we're already at a disadvantage we're already in a place where we're behind the eight ball like if the people that are in charge of giving us our foundation in love, don't have a foundation themselves in God and they don't know what love is, what it feels like, what it looks like, they can't teach you. And in turn, you can't teach someone else. And that's the aim of the enemy, right? Because if he can get rid of love and he can continue to sow this division and, and he can sow this discord and he can continue to encourage us to fight one another and be conditional and make our love predicated and dependent upon what someone else does or doesn't do or what somebody does or doesn't give us, then he's winning certain battles. We know he isn't going to win the war overall, but he's winning certain battles when you take love out of the equation. You're bound to have conflict, right? The world we live in. Like I said, nobody comes into this world full of hatred. The world we live in. Nobody comes into this world wanting to fuss, fight, and argue all the time. But yet and still, the world we live in. So let me talk about myself for a moment. I tend to try to, you know, use personal examples and I don't mind being transparent. I don't mind sharing my story. You know, uh, I may or may not have mentioned I grew up in a single parent household. I'm the oldest of six children. I thought that arguing, fussing, fighting, that was life. My father um, was physical with my mom. I, I saw quite a bit coming up and I heard a lot coming up. And no, I don't know everything that was going on behind closed doors. And I don't know what the arguments were, like what the source of them were. I know what I saw. I don't ever really remember hearing from either of my parents, to be honest with you. I love you. I'm, I'm sure they said it. Um, but to know the true definition of love, I can honestly, honestly say that seed was not sown. It was conflict, constant chaos and conflict. So when I decided that I was interested in boys and I wanted to start dating, um, outside of the, the physical aspect, I, you know, fell head over heels in love with someone when I was 17 years old, he showed me attention. He acted as if he was interested in what I had going on in life. He was older than me. Um, he came to my prom. <laughs> Who does that? I mean, travel to come to my senior prom. Um, and, you know, when you're in love with someone, especially when you think you're in love with someone, you do things, you put up with things, you put up with verbal abuse, you put up with some foolishness, especially if you're not taught that that is not what love looks like. And so I found myself in a situation where I was dealing with this dishonest person who was not anyone who had my best interest at heart. Um, he dated multiple people at the same time that he dated. And I 
I ate, slept, and breathed this individual. I remember it vividly. It was the, the and, and and if you haven't fallen in love in that way, if you have not, or if you've chosen to kind of box that up and not deal with it, I, I guess to each his own, I would venture to say that you will continue to stay in bondage if you don't deal with it. But it caused some damage, that relationship. It took a long time for me to heal from that relationship. Because when I tell you I threw myself out there, I was on the train tracks just laying there and the train ran me over. And I was young. And I didn't know any better. And I trusted blindly so, trusted this individual when he said that he loved me, that that's what love was. It was conflict. It was arguing. It was catching somebody cheating on you. It it was all of those things that it wasn't. Not really. But I didn't know that because I, I wasn't taught. It wasn't part of my foundation. It wasn't part of my DNA. And it, it wasn't something that I discovered right away when I came into Christ seven years later. Um... But that was a traumatic experience for me. And I remember going through this kind of rebellious phase after that relationship ended and before, you know, I, I surrendered my life to Christ where I was just kind of out there. I mean, wilding out kind of. And, and, and it wasn't anything that was godly. I tell you all the time, it, it, nobody was born say sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. And if you say you are, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not the honest person that you probably should be because we've all had a life outside of Christ. And even on the other side of salvation, we have little foxes that we're dealing with that we don't want other people to know about necessarily. Um, but I don't have anything to hide. And so I went through this phase where I was like, well, what he could do, what he did, I can do better. And it was really me operating from a place of hurt. It was a way for me to rationalize and excuse, you know, my behavior. It was a way for me to compartmentalize and bury the hurt and pain that had been caused um, so that I didn't have to deal with it. I mean, let's be real. It's easy not to deal with a thing to some degree until you have to deal with it, until you have no choice but to deal with it. But this this was the very first experience that I had with love in that way, an intimate love with someone of the opposite sex. And it did me in. I was not right. I wasn't the same. I was jaded for a season. All men were dogs and no good for nothing. And all they wanted was a piece of tail. I mean, you name it. All of the cliches that come associated with heartbreak and hurt and pain as it relates to relationships, I went through it. And I didn't have at that time, again, before I gave my life to Christ, I did not have someone to talk to me, not in the way that I needed, not someone to give me good godly wisdom about how to heal. You know, nobody talked to me about soul ties. None of that stuff was... um None of that stuff was made available to me. I had no idea. So I'm out here and I'm living life as an adult in college, in the military. I'm living life the way that I think it should be lived. And I'm living life under the assumption that love is supposed to look, smell, feel, sound a certain way. 
and I am totally off base. And in the process of being totally off base, I am brick by brick building this wall and I am becoming harder and harder and harder. And it is more and more difficult for people to get close to me in the way that God intended for us to build relationship, whether they're intimate relationships or not. I know for a fact that that was the catalyst for me walking in a broken place walking in an undone place. It was also the place where I began to doubt my self-worth. I began to operate in low self-esteem. I had no love for myself, which is why I was able to fall for the okey-doke, as we one would say, and deal with this misogynistic person who, 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 was a narcissist and and who didn't really love me the way that God intended for me to be loved, I began to doubt my value. And so in that doubt and in that broken place, in that painful, hurtful place, um, I lashed out and I decided I was going to be this cold calculating woman who could do anything that a man could do and maybe arguably do it better. And that was not a good time. That wasn't a good season. I I mean, I wasn't happy. I wasn't healthy mentally or emotionally. I was not um, in a good place. But I think about that. And I think about how it shaped some of my interactions with other people. And I am, first of all, grateful to God for deliverance because, whoa, that was a dark period in my life. But I am also grateful you know, hindsight being 2020, that I can see how it happened. I can see how it evolved. I can see how it went south quickly, but I can also see how I began to come out of it. Um, Still not understanding who I was in Christ, still not understanding my worth, how he began to bring me out of it. Um, And maybe at another time I can talk about my marriage and how that all went (laughs) because I'm not married anymore. But, you know, it is what it is. It takes two to tango. Um, And there were still even in my my marriage, there were still some things that were undone and broken in me where it comes to how love is truly defined by God. And because of that brokenness and because of an inability at that time to come up out of the brokenness and be willing to deal with the bricks in the wall, so to speak, um, how how that contributed to the failure of my relationship the second time around. Because I wasn't married the first time. I got married in the second relationship. At any rate, I digress. How do we fix this? How do we get to a place of healing? And there is no hard or fast rule to this. But at some point, you got to deal with it. And you have to be, well, you don't have to do anything. We say, but pay taxes and die. And even some people aren't paying taxes. So there's that. But if you truly want to come into a place of um, love, if you truly want to come into love the way that God says we're supposed to operate in it, we have to yield and we have to seek out where things went bad We have to be willing to do the work to fix those things. I would think that one of the first steps to breaking down our personalized barriers to be free to love is to get back to loving ourselves first. 
How can we have any reasonable expectation to teach our children about love or love others for that matter if we don't love ourselves? And I can I can totally understand that coming into a solid, stable place of self-love is sometimes easier said than done. It's easier for some folks to stay in an introverted, closed off, safe haven of solitude. It's easier to do that than it is to wake up every day, look in the mirror and decide to love everything there is to love about themselves. There's no shortcut. There's no quick fix. There's no way to just get there in a jiffy. Like we become this microwave generation of folks who we want the the seven steps to, to becoming a billionaire and five hard and fast rules to a better life. Everything is self-help. Everything is go, go, go. Everything is if you do these 15 things, you will have arrived. That is impossible. And impossible by like leaps and bounds. There is no hard and fast rule. There is no quick fix. It requires a lot of work. Like anything in life. Billionaires, millionaires, they took the time to build their empires. Real estate moguls. You, you think about pop rock artists and and painters and poets and best-selling authors. It took time. Actors, it took time to build their empires. And just like them, if you want to come into a place of true love for yourself, you got to do the work. And one of the ways to start down this path is to accept what God says about you. He says so much. He doesn't have one hateful word to say about you. And despite the fact that the enemy takes his entire day to stand before God and accuse you of all kinds of crimes against humanity, right? Spiritual crimes, natural crimes. He's an accuser and he spends his entire day pointing the finger at you. God's word declares that there's nothing that can separate you from his love. He knows you're coming and going. He knows you're rising and he knows you're going down. He knows the number of hairs on your head and he has it in his mind to bless and prosper you, not to hurt you. I mean, I could go on and on about how you're the apple of God's eye and how you're valued at a price far higher than the most precious diamonds. But take my word for it and go to the word of God to see what he says about you to see what he has to say about you for yourself. His word is infallible. His word is true. I mean, there's a scripture for every situation that we come across in this life. And I know that in difficult times, especially heartbroken times, we don't necessarily run to the word. I am very careful about, you know, loved ones and friends who are going through difficult times. I mean, because in my own humanity, I don't always want to hear a scripture. Let's be real. I am a woman of God. I have faith in God. I have faith in the word of God. I do not always want to hear a scripture. And that's just real talk. Because in my humanity, 
I want to just feel what I feel for a moment. And I want someone to be there to, to empathize with me, hug me. I, I always say it's okay for you to have a moment. Nobody is a robot and nobody is 100 and 100% 24-7 in the spirit, in the clouds. We all have moments and you can have your moment. What you cannot do is stay stuck in that moment for you, the duration of your life. At some point, you have to get up from that moment and you have to move on from that moment. And which direction you move in, whether it is for the better or worse, is totally up to and dictated by you. The enemy can't make you move in either direction. No more than God can make you. We have this free will choice. We can choose to do the work and come up out of the hurt and pain and operate in love freely and unabated, or we can choose to stay stuck in the bondage of hatred and self-loathing and, and conditional love, right? We, we, we can choose that, but who has fun in that? Who's free in that? And I understand that there is a cost that comes with being open. There is a cost that comes with being exposed. There is a cost that comes with saying, I am going to love freely. I'm going to let people get close to me. I'm going to put myself out there to be loved. Because in putting yourself out there to be loved, inevitably, you put yourself out there to be hurt. But God's word is infallible and it's true. Another way, you know, to get going on this freedom path to love or more specifically self-love, because again, you cannot love others. You can't teach love to others. You can't demonstrate true love to other people if you don't love yourself, is to shut out the negative naysayers in your life. These are the people that never have anything positive to say. They are the people who go out of their way to shoot you down when you're having a moment of joy, when you're in a high place of happiness, or they're quick to burst your bubble when you're floating on cloud nine because they themselves are miserable. And I, I hope to God you haven't had that experience, but I have had that experience where everything I said or did, it was like it was a competition. And this individual had to one up me. For example, if I said, you know, I was on a fast and it's a three day absolute fast. It was what I remember when I fasted 500 days with with no water. And and it was just always this this I can do better than you. There was never any encouragement. I remember when I first got saved, I was so excited that I had made this life altering decision to give my life to Christ. And I mean, I was a bit extreme as tends to be the custom when you when you come out of a life of sin and debauchery <laughs> and you come into Christ, you tend to be a bit extreme. And and it takes there's a, a, a time from entering into salvation where you, you have to find that middle ground and your balance in God and you begin to come into who you are. I was not allowed with this person in his presence to do that. And I will never forget that as long as I live because he was critical of everything I had to say as I was discovering this new and beautiful relationship with God. And, and he wasn't able to pour the love of Christ into me because I would argue that even the love of Christ in that situation would have allowed me to find my balance. It would not have judged me in the way that we tend to judge 
one another or even judge ourselves. And I remember that experience. And I remember feeling like, man, everything I say, everything I do is wrong. And I'm getting shot down by this quote unquote, more seasoned saint in Christ. And it bothered me. And again, it shaped the way that I saw and experienced love. It it made me compare myself to someone else. It made me feel like I, I wasn't good enough. It made me feel like I hadn't arrived. It fed my low self-esteem and it made it lower. It it it, it distorted my interpretation of of what I thought God God's love was like. And that did damage. And it took time for me to recover from it. And I'll never forget that. And I I may not have always been successful at it. I may not have always done it right, but I have done my best not to make people feel like that, to feel like they weren't good enough in the sight of God, to, to, to make them feel like they were unlovable. I posted on um, TikTok today, you know, that you are worthy of love. You are deserving of love. You are absolutely lovable because God loves you. And when God loves you, his love is pure. His love is, you know, it it is unfailing. It's constant. It's consistent. It is kind. Even in the times when we are being corrected and rebuked, you know, it is still the love of Christ. And it there's never... An inconsistency there. There's never a moment where we should, as a people, as as children of the Most High, there's never a time where we should be questioning whether or not God loves us. I mean, I think about that and I think about how, how it could even be conceivable, how it could even be possible that there are people walking around right now feeling like no one loves them, feeling like no one cares, feeling like no one gives a rip if they jump off a bridge or drown their sorrows in a bottle of of alcohol and pills or whatever the case may be. You are loved. You are loved beyond measure. And I'm so godly passionate about it because it took a long time for me to get there. And I, I I have not arrived. Every T is not crossed. Every I is not dotted. I learn something new about God's love for me every single day. I remember a time when I couldn't even look myself in the mirror. And it had nothing to do with, you know, body image issues and how I wished my hair looked or how I wished I could afford to get nipped, tucked and whatever. Because, you know, my favorite show, one of my favorite guilty pleasure um, pleasures is to watch uh, Botched. If you know anything about Botched, it's a show about plastic surgery. But anyway, it didn't have anything to do with that. I remember like I would get up in the morning I would shower, get dressed, you know, get myself ready for work. And I would do it all without purposely looking in the mirror because I didn't love me. And how can you say that you love God and you know that God is love and you understand that God's love, God loves you unconditionally, but you don't love yourself. You don't believe that you're worthy of love. You don't believe that you're worth it and you're worth it 
and then some like there is no dollar amount there is no no um denomination that can describe or encapsulate you as a person and there is somebody out here listening in this world there's somebody out here who doesn't love themselves and because they don't love themselves because they don't recognize the love of Christ for them they are not able to fully love someone else. And so what we do in that situation is we attach ourselves to somebody who is bright and shining and they got confidence and they are full of love and you know they're full of love and then we suck them dry. I mean, we are beyond the need for words of affirmation if that's your love language and we are beyond the need for for quality time or gifts or acts of service. We are beyond that. We are like leeches in that condition and you cannot go into relationship with anybody that way because eventually you will suck them dry and then when you can't get the love that you feel like you need from them you either walk away from the situation or they walk away from you because they're drained and emotionally they can't support your habit so to speak and that's a tough hard place to be in it's a very tough place to be in And we think that, you know, two people coming together make a whole, like I bring my half, you bring your half and we're all whole. We're whole as a unit. And that's flawed thinking. Um, No, you can't be perfect going into relationship. I mean, friendship, family, intimate relationship, whatever. But you can't go in expecting that person to make you a whole person. And if you don't love yourself, no amount of love that they pour onto you, into you, around you, no, no number of gifts is going to fill the void that you have there. I could tell you all day long that you're beautiful. I can tell you you're talented and gifted. I can tell you that God loves you, but I can tell you that you're lovable. But until you come to that knowledge, come into that knowledge for yourself, Nothing I say matters and nothing anybody else says to you will matter. You have to come into a place where you believe that for yourself. Because if you don't come into that place, you're in trouble. You're going to have a hard way to go. And there will continue to be this storm cloud following you every everywhere that you go. We can't view ourselves the way the world does. Neither can we allow the world's definition of love, which is usually conditional and predicated on what someone else can do for us to dictate how we see ourselves. I mean, if you do, you will inevitably fall into a place of self-loathing from a practical perspective, right? One of the ways that we can come into this place of self-love and 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 nothing I've said is like an exhaustive list This end all to be all finite, definitive, guaranteed way to come into self-love. These are some things that have worked for me. These are some things that people have shared with me, some things that I've shared with my own children when I see that there is a need. And even as a parent, I will tell you, I haven't always done it right where it comes to sowing a seed of the true love of Christ into my children. Hurt people hurt people. And that's not an excuse. 
It is an explanation. And I had to come to a place of recognition and correct course where that's concerned. And so we have to constantly be on this vigilant post to recognize when we're not operating in the true love of Christ for ourselves and for the benefit of others so that we can correct course and do it the right way, right? So another way to do this is to speak well of yourself every day, regardless of how you feel. These are affirmations. And I remember, I I don't know if it was YouTube, it might have been Facebook, it could have been any number of social media platforms. But I remember watching this video where this young girl, she had to been, you know, in her teens to early 20s. And she was talking about how she had low self-esteem and she didn't love herself. And she talked about how she did this kind of um, experiment where every day she took a video and she did her hair and she put on makeup until she began to love the way that she looked. She had body image issues, I believe, is what was going on. And I forget how long she did this, but she did it every single day until she grew to love her for herself. And she talks about how freeing that was and how it helped her. And she talked about how she would continue to do it. So not only is it a a, a process where hard work is required, it's, I would argue, a never-ending process. It's a daily process. There are affirmations out there. There are things in the word of God that you can speak over you, especially if you can't go wrong speaking over yourself what God has already spoken. I mean, it's 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 textbook, literally the Bible (laughs) to do that. And I'll never forget that I saw that video because I didn't have that at my at at my, you know, disposal when I was coming up. I I didn't, you know, know that I could speak well of myself and, and not be considered, you know, cocky or conceited. And there is a difference between speaking well of yourself and being conceited. You know, I didn't realize that the love of God was this pure, unconditional thing that it. I didn't have to do work to be loved by God, that God loved me before I was born, that God loved me after I was born, that God loved, loved, loves, will continue to love me in the midst of all of my mess. The love of God is consistent. And so in that, I didn't realize that I was the apple of his eye. I didn't realize that I had value and worth until I sat down and I brick by brick began to dismantle the wall that I had erected based on my life circumstances and situations that had come to me that showed me an incorrect picture of what true love really was supposed to look like. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter came to me, my 14-year-old, and she was having a moment um, where she didn't really feel like she liked some things about herself or loved some things about herself. And I asked her a question. I said, so what do you love about you? I said, let's not focus on the negative. Let's not focus on the bad. Tell me what you love about you. And before that, I asked her, okay, well, what do you want to change? And she named stuff like she didn't like her lips and she didn't like her hips and she didn't like her her hair. And I was like, okay, 
well, who is it that you think you're supposed to look like? And, you know, your hips, you're 14, you're not done developing. And I mean, I mean, I'm 42 and three kids later, I got enough hips for a bunch of us. And I told her, I was just like, if I could donate hips, I would give you hips, but I can't donate hips, you know. But I, I asked her, I said, let's not focus on the negative. Let's not focus on what anybody said about us. Tell me what you like about you. And she talked to me about, you know, the different physical aspects and some personality traits that she loved about herself. And I said, okay, let's focus on those. I said, the physical stuff is going to change. You're still growing. You're still coming into womanhood and young womanhood, so to speak. Let's not focus on that. Who told you? you know, that you weren't beautiful? Who told you you were ugly? Who told you these things? Because they're not so. And I gave her a task. And her task was to make a list. I gave her like three days. I was like, you have until the end of the day, Sunday. I want to see this list. I want to see a list of everything that you love about you, the physical stuff, the the mental, emotional, personality type stuff. I want to see the list of the things that you do love, that you do like about you. I said, and once you give me that list, I'm going to add to it what I love about you physically, emotionally, mentally, your personality. I said, and I want you to write, I think I gave her five affirmations, self-love affirmations. I said, I want you to write something positive about you on this piece of paper in addition to what you love about you. I said, and when you give me the list, I'm going to add my own affirmations and I want you to say these things every day. I want you to say it. I want you to say it when you don't feel like it. I want you to say it when you don't feel like you're loved, uh, when you don't, when you're angry, when you're mad, when you feel like nobody loves you and nobody cares. I want you to look at this list and I want you to speak these things over yourself. And so she's been at it for a couple of weeks. And I think that I will check in with her to see how she's doing. Um, You know, you have to do a temperature check with your kids. Um, Kids can be mean. You don't know what they're hearing at school. You don't know what people are saying about them. And then you have social media that gives you this false sense of, A, what love's supposed to look like, what beauty is. It's just all of this misconception and disinformation floating around out there when in reality, everybody is beautiful because God doesn't make mistakes. It is society that causes us to think that we're not worth love. It is society in general that causes us to think that we're not beautiful. It is society who tries to dictate and define for us what love is when God has already given us the blueprint for love, what it looks like and how it should be demonstrated. And so I have a poem for you guys. I did this piece about a year ago uh, when I was visiting a church and it was on I want to say two weeks after Valentine's Day, because there was a really bad snowstorm here in Texas last year. And I mean, if you know anything about Texas, if you live in Texas, you know it was bad because people went without heat and water for days because our power grid couldn't handle it. Anyway, they ended up postponing the original event that was supposed to happen Valentine's Day weekend for the following week or a couple of weeks after. And it is called The Essence of My Love. And with all of my poems, anytime I share one of the pieces that I do, my hope and my prayer is that it is enlightening, that it shows you, you know, some insightful 
something into the kingdom that is encouraging and empowering. So I, and I hope that it's a blessing. And so it's called the essence of my love. I love you. Like I really love you. I love you, but do you feel the same? Do you love you like I love you? Do you love the uniqueness with which I created you? Do you understand that you are the manifestation of my love for all humanity? I made absolutely no mistake when I created you and all of your profound beauty and with all of your wonderful idiosyncrasies, I love you because you are a reflection of me. My love is not like the world defines love, you know, in the sense that if you give it, then you'll get it. And then you'll only get it the way someone feels that you should have it. See, because the world doesn't give love to you the way I intended for you to have it. When I say that I love you, you'll never have to wonder whether or not I meant it. The most beautiful feature of my love is that you don't have to do anything to earn it. You have only to believe that I love you. Open your heart and embrace it. My love for you is not toxic and it doesn't break you down. It it doesn't hurt and it doesn't take away from who you are or who you were meant to be. It'll never make you feel as though you were placed on this earth by mistake or that you were never supposed to be. You were created on purpose with purpose and that is what I need for you to believe. My love has been given freely for you are mine and I am yours. Before time began, I claimed you just for me. My love breaks down barriers and walls. If you allow, it permeates every fiber of your being right down to the innermost parts of your heart. My love doesn't require that you put on a brave front. It's okay for you to be vulnerable. It's okay for you to fall apart. Within the construct of my love, there is safety, security, and trust. It's okay to be honest and open, to tell me how much it hurts. This love is the solve that heals hurts and wounds. It carries your secret tears, your secret fears to the inner courts and chambers of the throne room. It encourages, restores, and sets you free from the prison of thinking that you have to fit into a man-made box of labels or self-defined tombs surrounded by definitions of you that never came from my word that were only meant to deceive It is true that love does cover a multitude of sin, but it also conquers a self self inflicted hatred you may be harboring within. It will dispel the myth that you're insufficient, broken and dysfunctional. Loving you was never optional. The power of my love reinforces the fact that you are unequivocally made whole and that you no longer have to give another thought or ounce of energy to any lie that may have been told going back to the time that you were born. Everything I've ever spoken over you was spoken out of love and founded in truth. I'll say it as many times as you need to hear it. There was no mistake when I created you. I love you when you're strong. I love you when you're weak. I love you when you're high and I love you when you're low. I'm always there. I am always listening. I'm with you on every path and every road. Hear me clearly. I love you dearly in my love. You never have to be ashamed. My love is everlasting and never ending. It will never fade. 
What on earth made you feel like you could be separated from it and that it could ever be taken away? My love is indisputably unconditional, unconditional, and it will never be predicated on what you can do for me. I numbered the hairs on your head. I know you're rising and going down. You are the apple of my eye. And yes, yes, you are worth the sacrifice. You're the essence of my love, the outward expression of my life. I wrote that piece during the time that I had a difficult time looking myself in the mirror. And so my prayer is that you would take that piece, the essence of my love, and that you would replay it over and over again in your mind, because that's what God's heart is towards all of us. My hope and my prayer is that you will write down the things that you love about yourself physical, emotional, mental, your personality, your characteristics, everything that you love about you, the gifts that you have. And then write down some affirmations, positive things. Speak well of yourself, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't want to, especially when someone says something that is a lie when you compare it to the word of God and what the word of God says about you. My prayer is that you'll begin to break down the walls and the barriers that you've erected. Um, And the best way for you to do that is to come into a place of self-love. The scripture that I want to share is coming from the amplified version of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, which are the abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. We dictate how we feel about ourselves. And when we allow someone else to dictate our self-worth, someone outside of God, when we allow someone to dictate our value, When we allow someone to show us something that is not the pure love of Christ, we give them power. When God never intended that for you, we give them control. We put ourselves in a place of bondage. And God's love is freeing. It is gloriously freeing. There is no bondage. There are no shackles. There is no shame. When we abide in the love of Christ, there is nothing but freedom. And so my hope and my prayer tonight, as you all, you know, go on about your business this week, is that you declare your love for you. That you begin to discover how much God loves you, that you begin to walk in what he says about you. And if you don't know, seek it out. The love of Christ, it cannot be articulated by any one human being um, until you figure out that you have to love you. Like, honestly, if you don't love yourself, you can't even receive the love of Christ. And that's the truth. No amount of positive reinforcement can do that for you until you come into that revelation for yourself. And so before I end this particular podcast, I do want to pray. 
And Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that whomever is listening to this tonight feels your pure, unadulterated, unconditional love. I pray that they begin to see themselves through your eyes and that they would come into a place of security and self-love that can never be tampered with, that can never be destroyed, that can never be taken away ever again. I pray for a level of self-discovery that has never been um, arrived at or to. I pray, God, that the abundant love of Christ flow over in and through whoever is listening to this podcast tonight. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that they would begin to seek after you in the moments where they are unsure, in the moments where they they don't know, in the moments where they feel like they're not loved or they feel like no one cares. And God, that you would comfort them, wrap your loving arms around them and help them come into that freeing, unabated love of Christ, the love that you intended for us to walk in before the foundation of the world. I pray these things and so many, so many more blessings in Jesus name. Amen. And so that's my time tonight, guys. I love doing this podcast. I love that you all chose to spend time with me um, tonight. I hope and pray that this podcast was a blessing to you. And um, we'll probably do a part two um, in terms of uh, the freedom to love next Monday. So thank you for tuning in. And I hope that you will tune in again next week. My name is Mariah Rose. I'll be back on Monday. My podcast is every Monday at 7 p.m. Um, This has been another wonderful episode of Out Loud and Unfiltered. So until next time, have an amazing week. God bless you and bye-bye.